Good evening. Um, my name is Keith Case. I'm a pastor here at Providencia. Um, haven't been up here in about a month, and it's been awesome uh, to be sitting out there with you all. So thank you to everyone who came up here and preached um, during this last month. There's going to be more voices that you'll hear up here in the future from the body, from our church, and I'm excited about that. Our text tonight is from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. You can follow along in the Pew Bible there, uh, or you can follow along on the screen here behind me. This is starting in verse 1 of chapter 2. This is what Isaiah son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This ends the reading of the word of the Lord. As I said, my name is Keith Case, and I haven't been up here in about a month, so uh, the story that I want to tell you guys first is a little bit of like, let's get to know each other again story here. And you may or may not see a connection to the sermon, but I just got to tell this story. So hopefully uh, you can roll with it. But this past week, thanks to the generosity of many of you here, my wife and I were able to do a vacation away. The challenge for us in that is that we don't have family here, and we have five kids, so if we are going to go away, someone has to stay with our kids. So the Millican twins, as I called them, uh, volunteered themselves as a sacrifice for the um, tribute, and they, they stayed at our house, and they survived, and thank, thank you for them. And, and someone else generously gave us this like severely discounted night at the Breakers. And, and, and somebody else paid for our dinner. And somebody else had breakfast delivered for us in, in our room. It was like amazing. But the story I want to tell you about was on, uh, I guess it was Tuesday night. Is that what night we were there? Yeah, Tuesday night. I can't remember. But uh, we were there Tuesday night. My wife and I, we went to... Um, HMF, the little bar there, you know, and we were having our little fancy drinks, and we were talking, and, and, and we're, we're kind of poor, right, by the standards of the breakers, and so we started talking about wealth, and it, we felt like we were surrounded by people who were, who were really wealthy, um, at least based on the clothes they were wearing and, and kind of the company they were keeping. We were like, man, we, we might be the poorest people here right now, and maybe even poorer than the servers, I don't know, but um, we were sitting there, and we were talking about wealth. And Amy and I are having this discussion, and my wife grew up in Mexico City, and she went to school with really, really wealthy kids, where they had armed uh, machine gunners like in their uh, limos on the way to school. If you are familiar with Mexican uh, film at all, uh, Gael Garcia was her uh, classmate, one year older than her, and she would watch him on the novellas when she'd home from school, and he's been in all kinds of movies that I won't say their names right now. But, um, 
The, he's the most famous Mexican actor probably out there at this time. And then she would come home and, and she lived in like a gated community surrounded by incredible poverty. And I grew up on this mountain, kind of away from the city. We lived in my grandmother's attic. My grandmother had been a, a teacher in the coal mines. Her husband had died and she had continued to just stay widowed out of her love and, and loyalty to her husband. She was this very stoic woman. And so I had this, this woman who was like a school teacher, and we lived in her attic. And, and then my dad's dad was a very, had become a very wealthy, wealthy developer. He started off as a plumber and then become a developer and, um, and made a lot of money. So one minute we'd be staying in my grandmother's attic. The next, that weekend, we'd be on my grandfather's 52-foot yacht uh, at the yacht club. And again, so I kind of grew up in this weird space of like not having money but being around money. And here we are at the Breakers uh, at 43 years old, you know, I'm sitting there and we're talking about wealth. And we had this conversation and I, I was telling Amy, I was like, you know, what is it that, that these people here have that we don't have? It was an honest question. I was really wanting to probe and, and see, like, did, did, did they have something that we want? And essentially, I was telling Amy, like, I feel like a rich man. I feel like such a wealthy man, like... And I was, I was talking about our kids, I was talking about our marriage, I was talking about our house, like I love our house, I love our neighborhood, I love our church, I love the people we work with here on our staff, like I really love these people. I love our city. And here we are at the Breakers because of people's generosities. You guys have like made us rich, we're sitting there having this incredible experience. And uh, Amy was like, yeah, yeah, she was buying it, but she was also like, well, I wish we had some more money. Um, let's be honest. So I was... Uh, you know, we were out walking after that, and I was all in this world of like, oh, but I'm such a rich man. And we're out on the, the rocks and, and right behind the breakers. And if you've ever been there at nighttime, they have these huge lights that they shine down on the beach. And we're, so we're having this like romantic walk. Amy's like all dressed up. And, and she said, how crazy would it be if a shark swam up right here on the beach? I was like, it'd be crazy. And right then a shark swam up. And um, so then we're like, oh, my God. It's amazing, there's a shark right here. And then we went and started getting close to the beach and there was 10, 15, 20, 100 sharks swimming behind the breakers. I don't know if they'll be there tonight, but maybe we can go. But um, they, they were swimming and we were up on the rocks trying to record it. And I didn't have my phone with me because we were on a date. You know, I left my phone in the room, right? Be present with my wife. But she had her phone. So I was like, give me your phone. And so she, she unzips her purse, and she's getting her phone out. It's like an iPhone 4 or something, and she's getting it out, and cash is in her, her purse, and it falls into the rocks. It was like $20. I mean, the valet was 35 <laughs> That money was worth something, you know? And I'm, like, disappointed. I'm like, Oh my God, you just dropped $20 in the rocks, like in my mind, you know, like these like sentences are going on, you know, I'm trying to control myself, but like how, you know, how could you do that? So I'm still videotaping, I start videotaping the sharks and she's like, well, it's okay because the water's going to come in and just wash the money out into the ocean. And I'm like, no, it's not. That's not going to happen. Like you're living in some fantasy world here. Plus there's a hundred sharks out there. Like a couple minutes later, the $20 bill is floating like 30 feet out in front of the rocks. And I'm like, there it is. And without hesitating, she starts going in. 
And she's going into the ocean, swimming for the $20 bill in her date clothes, like completely soaked. And then she starts swimming back. And you guys aren't going to be able to see it, I'm sure. But this is, this is the most amazing video footage of my wife that, that you're probably ever going to see. And it's, it's her offering me the $20 bill. Can you see it? She is laughing. Here we go. <laughs> she can't breathe. She's laughing so hard. <laughs> she has to hand me the $20 bill. I have to take it from her so that she can use both hands to climb back out of the ocean. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yep. And then we had to walk back through the breakers with her soaking wet covered in sand, but we got that $20, dang it. Um, the reason I tell you that story is this. There's a part of me when I'm at a place like the Breakers that I want everybody to think that I belong there, that I have what it takes to roll in a place like that and to be exposed that your wife's out swimming for $20 with 100 <laughs> sharks. It's like, dang, they know I'm a fraud. You know what happened? Like, I'd be out at the pool, and guys would be making business deals. I'd be hearing them talking about words that I didn't study when I was in college or in grad school, but I knew they were, like, important business terms, you know? And maybe the Dow was mentioned in there or something, you know? And I was like, ah, I'm not a part of that game. I'm just not, I'm not wheeling and dealing like they are. And, and just this, this sense for me that I want to fit in, that I really want to find a place where I finally am at home. Last month, we talked all about hospitality and reimagining hospitality and reimagining home and um, finding that place where we really do fit in, where we really do belong. And this month, we're talking about reimagining Advent. And you may be asking yourself, what is there to reimagine? I don't even know what Advent is even about in the first place. But Advent are these weeks leading up to Christmas uh, here in the month of December. And they are not a time for instant gratification or for getting lost in Christmas shopping or in another drink or in your business deals. But they are an invitation to long for home. To long for home and do this thing that seems so countercultural. Wait. I'm supposed to have all this longing for home, and then I'm invited to wait. Advent is about returning home, home to the garden, and the waiting of that journey. As we turn back to our scripture in the story of Israel, Israel is trying to make a home for itself. Part of that is the reality that their nation has become divided and massive empires continue to grow around them. The threat of doom is all around. Their weaknesses are exposed. They are vulnerable and they do not like it. There are three points tonight uh, that I'm going to be covering. First is Trusting in weapons of the empire. 
number one. Trusting in the path of peace, number two. And third, the journey from soldiers to gardeners. In verse one, Isaiah the prophet tells us Judah and Jerusalem. He calls out these two locations. And if you know much about Israel's history at this time, Israel has become a divided nation. This is after King David. This is after King Solomon. Kind of the glory days of the nation. And now the nation has been divided. And it's vulnerable. And the nation in the north is called Israel. And the nation in the south is called Judah. And in Judah is this city, this very important city. If you remember Israel's history, it's where the temple is. It's Jerusalem. Jerusalem is in Judah. So Israel is in the north. Judah is in the south. And there's this massive empire growing called Assyria. And Assyria is beginning to come down on on the northern kingdom. And so the king of Israel goes to the king, not of Assyria, but of Syria. And they try to make an alliance. And now they've come and they're putting pressure on the king in Judah. And they're saying, hey, join our alliance so we can hold off the Assyrians. And the prophet Isaiah goes to that king in Judah, that king in Jerusalem, and says, hey, don't put your trust in those packs. Put your trust in the Lord. The Lord says he will deliver us. And what does that king do? That king goes and makes a deal, not with Syria and Israel to the north. He goes and makes a deal with Assyria, the empire. He doesn't trust in the Lord's deliverance, in the Lord's way. He trusts in his way. And in doing so, he invites this invasion on both the Syrian people, on the people of Israel in the north, And eventually they will make their way all the way down into Judah and they will surround the capital city of Jerusalem. They will will go around it. And this is the thing that they never thought would happen. The people in Judah were kind of a little bit cocky, a little bit arrogant because they never thought that God would let his city, where his temple was, where his home was, be invaded. And so Isaiah is speaking to the people in Judah. He's speaking specifically to the leaders. And he's saying, repent. Trust in the Lord. Come back. In Isaiah 1, verse 23, Isaiah says this to the rulers. He says, your rulers are rebels, companions of thieves, They all love bribes and chase after gifts. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless. The widow's case does not come before them. They were just concerned about their own survival. They're clinging to their ways to keep on surviving. My first question for you tonight is, what are you clinging to? Or better yet, what is the world telling you to cling to? What are your parents telling you to cling to? What is your spouse telling you to cling to? What is your boss telling you to cling to? These sentences or these phrases that can be told to you might be followed with, well, that's business or that's life. 
Here's, an, here's another way to ask the question. How do you financially make it in this world without compromising your soul? How do you financially make it without compromising your soul? Israel is compromised. Judah is compromised. And their nation is beginning to get picked apart because they have made deals with the wrong people. They have trusted in the wrong things. And in verse 2, Isaiah gives this word, and it may sound like a negative thing. It says, in the last days, which is a reference to the days of judgment. And for most of you, maybe when you were growing up and as a kid, if you went to church or you ever heard that phrase, the last days, it was kind of like, woo, like scary. And there is that component to it. But I want you to know that there is something very grand and very great and brilliant about the last days. That justice is not a negative thing. Justice is a positive thing. That things would be made right. That things would be made as they should be. And in verse 2 he goes on that the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills. It will become the highest. And what will be happening on that hill, by the way? What will be happening in that temple? What will be happening in that space? Orphans will be being cared for. Widows will be loved and not abandoned. The love of the vulnerable will be the highest order, the highest way of life, the thing celebrated more than anything else. And in verse 2, it says, all the nations will stream to it, which is kind of a, a, an interesting picture, right? That, that the temple is going to be so high and elevated above everything else, but that the nations will come streaming to it. It's like a, a stream running backwards. That somehow this thing is going to be so attractive, so beautiful, so grand, so brilliant. It's going to speak so deeply to our hearts, to our longings that it's actually going to draw us against the current upstream to the mountain, to this place where people, the vulnerable, are truly cared for, where people are truly finding a home. A lot of us are coming off of Thanksgiving, giving, and maybe you went home for Thanksgiving. I hope that was your experience of home. But was it? Were you in a place where you felt completely at home? Or was something missing? Was something missing? You know, I was, got to hear Jordan preach this morning here at Memorial, and he was talking about the family photos that happen at Christmas or around the holidays, and you're trying to get everybody looking the same direction, and even the dog. And, um, you know, in our family, that, that definitely is a challenge, right? Try to get everybody looking in the same direction and smiling at the same time. But it made me think about you all, and it made me think about those holiday pictures that you may have been a part of, or maybe they're just pictures that you take um, out with your friends. But are there pictures that really capture, when you're taking those pictures with your family, do they really capture who you are? Or is the smile on your face kind of just for the picture? Does it really capture who you are? Does the family photo, is that really who your family is? 
Home draws us, and when we find it, we find rest from war. For me, it did happen at the breakers. It happened in my wife's eyes that I found rest, that I found home, that I found connection. When I was in college, I had this obsession with reading World War II uh, books, memoirs from like soldiers away at war and other stories around World War II. And I don't know what it was, but I just really got into that, that narrative, that story. And maybe it was that they had this really clearly defined enemy or maybe it was that things just seemed simpler in those times. Um, I'm not exactly sure, but it was during that time that I learned that so much of our pop like culture Christmas music comes from that era. You know, songs like, I'll be home for Christmas, right? Um, Deck the halls with bells of holly. Like all these songs about coming home. All these songs about, hey, make, make, it, make it right for me. I'm, I'm trying to get there. And I would just imagine these soldiers in foxholes with like little, you know, crappy, crackly radios listening to Ben Crosby like while they're tucked in, you know, just freezing their butts off and just longing to be back home around a fire, just longing to be back home with their family, just longing to be back home around the meal. I'll be home for Christmas if only in my dreams. Men trapped in war. A world at that time enslaved to war. And the songs of our faith speak to it. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here. The people who wrote these songs knew that these soldiers were longing to be home. And if you really want to understand Advent, Advent is about soldiers wanting to just come home. Longing to come home. And O Come, O Come, Emmanuel speaks to this desire, not just for those soldiers in World War II, but for Israel, for these people thousands of years ago to come home, to be set free from their captivity. And hopefully it speaks to you that we need to be set free. You know, what brought those men home was when the war ended. In verse 3, he says, Many people, people from around the world will say, Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. Let's go home. Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. Let's go home. See, some of us here know how to run away from home pretty well. Most of us aren't from here that I know of you. I'm not from here. I learned to run away from home very early in life. I also became a Christian very young when I was about 13. I did so at a Christian camp, which was a lot of fun. Um, and mixed into the culture there, which I didn't really know it, was I wanted what I had 
there for a week at Christian camp to be my reality every day because it was awesome. And I remember when I was talking to one of my good friends uh, when I was in seminary and, and I was, they were asking me about why I was a Christian and what my Christian faith uh, was all about. And when I got done explaining to them why I was a Christian, they said to me, Keith, that doesn't sound like Christianity at all. That sounds like escapism. And they were right. I wanted a religion that just gave me pain relief. I wanted a religion that delivered me right now, that made me feel good right now. And you know, there's many religions out there that'll do it. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? That's what they used to say. They used to say, oh, you know, the preacher would stand up, don't have sex until you get married, don't drink, don't do drugs, and don't listen to that rock and roll music. But what they were actually probably saying is there's a different path, there's a different journey than escapism. That there's a God who will come and meet us in the here and now. And whatever it is that you are going through. He will teach us his ways. What are his ways? His incarnation, his presence, not escapism. Walking in vulnerability, but armed with an alive heart. So we may walk in his paths. So he is inviting us on a path, a way, a way of connection, a way of vulnerability. It's not an instantaneous deliverance to home. He's inviting us on a path. And in verse 3, it says that the law will go out from Zion. And what is that law? We, I, you know, when I usually hear the word law, I instantly go to the Ten Commandments. Like, do not lie. That's what I think of. But the law was a reference to the first five books, to the Torah, to Moses' writings, that there was a bigger story being told there. And what was that story? It was God's relentless pursuit of his people. The law was the grace of God. So from Zion, the grace of God is going out. The word of the Lord from Jerusalem is a person, a man in Luke 24, 47. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Earlier I asked you, what are you clinging to? But now I want to ask you something else. What is clinging to you? What do you need deliverance from? What do you need ransom from? See, there are certain things that I know in my life that I'm like clinging on to to survive. And God continually invites me to open my hands. But there are other things in our culture, there are other things in our, in our world that actually are oppressive to us. Is there something that's clinging to you? Something that you feel like is, is bounding you, something that has got you imprisoned. What do you need ransom from? There's a picture that Isaiah wants to leave us with. As he gives hope to people facing suffering, he says there will come a day where nations, instead of attacking and warring with each other, they will garden and feed each other. 
nations instead of picking up swords and spears against each other will instead till the ground and grow fruit and grow vegetables for each other. That instead of having this world of scarcity where men fight tooth and nail, he's creating a world where men's hands will be open-handed. Giving each other, not for the exchange of money, but because of love. Because they see each other as family. And this is our last point, from soldiers to gardeners. What would bring about such a transformation to move us from being soldiers, carrying weapons, swords and spears, to releasing them and turning them into something to cultivate and care for the earth. To return to Eden. In verse 4, he will judge between the nations. God will. And he will settle their disputes. See, there is perfect justice coming. There is perfect justice coming. In verse 4, they will beat their swords into plowshares. Who's going to beat the swords into plowshares, by the way? It's not God. It's the people. They will toil. They will work the metal to transform them from weapons of war to tools used to bring life. You know, in Jesus' last hour, we see these weapons. Peter wields the sword and lops off this soldier's ear, trying to protect Jesus from what he is about to face. And Jesus Put the weapon away, Peter. Picks up the ear, puts it back on the man, and heals this soldier, this enemy of Israel. And then there in his last seconds, as Jesus is hanging vulnerably on the cross, his side is pierced with a spear. It's interesting, both the sword and the spear show up there in the last days, that even in our Savior's Last hours, the violence is still there. The acts of soldiers are still being carried out. But Jesus will be lifted up high on the cross. He'll be lifted up on that instrument that Rome was trying to use to keep peace in the world. You know, Rome, the way they threatened you, the way they quelched the rebellion was just to hang your leaders on a cross. And they say, hey, if you decide to rebel, if you decide to rise up against the empire, you're going to end up like them. If we don't crush you with our army first, you'll end up like them, humiliated, completely naked, exposed to the world. And Jesus is this king who comes and says, I am going to that place. Nations have tried to keep peace with the cross as a threat. I am going to go to the cross on my own volition to make peace, not just to keep peace, but to make peace in the whole world for every nation, for every tribe, for every tongue. He's going to dismantle the power of the cross, the fear of death. 
Because he's going to say to us, in me you have life that cannot be destroyed. In me you have life that cannot be taken from you. No army can take it from you. Trust in me. Trust in my way and I will deliver you. This is the transition. This is the movement from soldier to gardener. When we trust in the Savior who gave his life on the cross for us. This is when we can lay down our weapons, friends. And where we can become those who feed those around us. Those who cultivate and love and care for the earth in such a way as to provide open-handedly to our city, to our church. He invited us to a meal. And I prayed for them earlier, and I thank God for them earlier, um, but Zach, where is Zach? Is Zach in here right now? Zach, could you stand up real quick? Hope, could you stand up? Anna, David was here tonight and is in the back. Jared's on the back door. Is Curtis in here? Is he out running around? Curtis, could you stand up? Uh, if you help out before church on Sunday nights or you help out afterwards, could you stand up? David, Brother David, anybody else? So these people, week after week, you got, oh, there's people up in the balcony up there. Is that Danny up there? Can't see. Um, people here, week after week, come and spend their time creating this space for you. And in fact, uh, Jared and Curtis and Rick, who's not here tonight, they actually patrol the grounds. They're like here to kind of keep us safe. And each week, each week, these people come and do this. Thank you guys so much for everything you do for this community, that you are giving yourself, giving yourself so openly to serve us. Thank you. You can be seated. And the reason I say that and the reason I have them stand up is because uh, I've been talking about investing in this space and investing in this work and investing in this idea of meals, this idea of bringing our city together around meals, and we're getting ready to have a meal here in a second with communion. And part of that meal that we share every week is here on Sunday night. And as I've been talking about giving, more and more of you have signed up to give. That's what I'm hearing, you know, from our admins. Like, oh my gosh, more people are giving. It's amazing. Um, and I've asked, like, hey, even if you can only give a dollar, if you consider this your home, if you could just give a dollar, it'd be huge. Just to show, like, oh man, I am invested in this work. I'm invested, I'm invested in what's happening here. And maybe you don't have capacity to do that. Uh, or maybe you do and you want to do more. One of the things that you could really do to help us is on Sunday nights around 4 o'clock, people show up here, like people that just stood up, to help get this place ready. And then afterwards, when we're all talking and hanging out, they're like going around breaking everything down and, and cleaning up. Would you consider tonight being a part of what that work I mean, it'd just be awesome if all of us could do it, you know? If all of us did it like once a Sunday, then you'd only do it like once a year. Um, many hands make for light work. But to be invested here, 
it really means a lot to us um, because we cannot do this gardening alone. We cannot do it. I had an incredible time with my family over Thanksgiving, eating a meal in our backyard. It was beautiful. My wife made all this incredible food. But I was like missing grandparents and uncles and aunts just, just to have them help me care for my kids. We have a big city. We have a lot of people here in this church. We don't have enough people with just our staff to care for everybody here. We need all hands on deck, all people coming to this, this space of moving from being a soldier to a gardener. Being someone that is willing to lay down their arms and become a lover, a cultivator of the soil to give gifts to the people. I'm inviting you to join us in that. So if you can do that, you can see Danny afterwards. Um, he'll be down here. You can see me, uh, Jordan, Sarah Claire, anybody on our staff. We would love to invite you to invest in that way. Invest in feeding our city, just, not just here on Sunday night, but throughout the week. Would you pray with me?